When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today. All right, it's film study. Once again, this is going to be our preview episode where we're going to look ahead at the Browns game this weekend. Uh, Ken Husick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. And tonight we're joined by Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns. How you doing, Jeff? Uh, could be better, guys. I mean, look, you know, we, 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 we go through what we go through, you know, through our daily lives. And then to get to talk some ball at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's an Usah experience, you know. It's a fun you, way to do it. You you wanted that second win? That would have made your day better? Uh, Well, I have an 11-and-a-half-year-old daughter and a 10-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I'm working on about my third or fourth at this point already today, guys. <laughs> I got you. All right, Ken, uh, I know we got a lot to talk about today. Between The Browns have been all over the news with hard knocks all through uh, August, and then Baker Mayfield excitement this week and last week. So, Ken, where do you want to start with this? Well, there is a lot to talk about. Let's start with hard knocks just because it was, I think, the most entertaining season of hard knocks since the Ravens were on in 2001. Well, of course, we love that one here in Baltimore. But th- tell us about the about Todd showing up with his wife. Yeah, there you go. 
And and all the fights between Syracuse and Sharp, I thought were very entertaining. The rookie show stuff they do every year is good. But obviously, one of the big issues with Hard Knocks for for the Browns fan was Josh Gordon. So can you kind of take us through your perspective on the Josh Gordon situation? Um, I, I took a little flack, and the thing was, is you know, and Josh Gordon now, and me covering this team full time now over a calendar year, calendar year is, you know, Josh Gordon, you know, the amount of time he's been away from this organization. The question is, and none of us know it yet, and now even he played with New England on Sunday. We have no idea. We can't put a percentage. We can't do a bar graph to know how much of Josh Gordon still really is there. Is he still pay- capable of being this 80-plus reception guy for 1,300, 1,400 yards? Nobody knows. It's been such a small sample size over the years. And that's, you know, as he did not show up for camp, as it went on and on, like I started to grow a little irritated. And for me, it was Josh Gordon, from what we'd seen from the limited time he played, he was no longer the best player in that locker room. You have a guy like Miles Garrett. You drafted a quarterback, one overall, Baker Mayfield, who they, everybody in the building has their livelihoods staked on. And, you know, and the Jarvis Landry, the speech, in that infamous speech, and the way he spoke, and it was just like, He's saying all this, and everybody, Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon's not even in the building. And it came to the point where it was like, well, look, I want Josh Gordon here to at least show up before week three of the preseason. I wanted him there that Sunday. He showed up that Saturday. That's fine. But there came a time where Josh Gordon and everything you got to deal with as Josh Gordon as a player needed to take second fiddle because the other 52 men on the roster mattered more. And I think that's what they eventually chose to do. I think that's why they eventually ended up doing what they were doing. And he's look, he's a unicorn at this point. We don't know what he is. Is he a true wide receiver number one? Is he part of a wide receiver core? Because if he's part of a wide receiver core, then he's not worth the headache. If he was the number one guy, which we haven't seen, then maybe he is. But now this is what fourth, I mean, third, fourth GM that's how to de- had to deal with Josh Gordon. And it gets really hard because at the end of the day, it's it's my job versus a guy that's never really played it down for me. And I think that's the way they ended up going with it. So it was, it was five years ago that Gordon led the NFL in receiving, right? Uh, 2014. 2013, I thought. It was okay, 2014? But, but even still, that's how far ago it was. Yeah, that's just absurd. He's I mean, in his seventh numbers NFL. right now. He's yep. in his seventh NFL season, and he's a third-year <laughs> player. That's... You know, he's going to be eligible for free agency at 35 at this rate. So, okay, we'll move on. We, we've set it up. To, uh, Callaway also, obviously very talented rookie receiver. Uh, tell us a little bit about his situation and how you think you Jackson handled it. Well, the thing with is, you know, we had talked all the season long, you know, because obviously with the Browns, we were talking draft by Halloween last year. I mean, we had not been talking about, about Columbus Day. But the thing was, is we felt that they needed wide receivers. And, but these wide receivers also had to be insurance policies because you had Josh Gordon, you had obviously, you know, uh, Callaway. So you needed guys that, because it, whatever reason it was, Callaways or Gordons, you needed guys who were going to be able to step up. The Jarvis Landry trade showed to be able to do that. He was a reliable receiver. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, everybody got really excited about him being, oh, well, we brought in Jarvis Landry, wide receiver one. I wasn't that excited, but he's outplayed the expectations I thought he was going to bring. But then they went and drafted Antonio Callaway. And look, John Dorsey, this is kind of his M.O. He does not get too caught up in what you did in the past. If he thinks he can help you now, he's going to draft you. He did draft him. 
the incident that happened, I mean, the first thing for me is, you know, look, y- you always get upset because here's a guy obviously misses last year at college, had to be suspended, had all the issues he had in college. And it's like, well, you drafted a guy with a bunch of red flags and all of a sudden a red flag came up. It looks like he's probably going to end up steering clear of pretty much anything as far as the charges were gone. Um, you know, the police officer at the time, I, I don't think anybody believes he was really had any wrongdoing at the time. Maybe some bad judgment or, you know, didn't check a car that had been <laughs> brought up from Florida, whatever it was. But everything with him as far as being on the field and as far as doing his job as being a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns has worked out. The one issue I have and a little bit of nerves I have with Antonio Callaway is I think they're fast tracking a rookie too fast. And I'd feel a little bit more comfortable with it if it wasn't for the fact that he did not play at all last season. So not only is he getting back to football speed, he's getting back to normal football speed, but he's got to be on an accelerated level because now he's in the NFL. And you saw last week, you know, they were trying to you know do some crossing motion and the stuff that Kansas City does with Tyreek Hill. And I'm just wondering if they're putting too much on the young man's plate too fast. All right. Very good. Um, Michael, Michael, Michael Hendricks and the insider trading scandal. Tell me how Browns fans react to something like that. Did they know it was coming? Well, I mean, there's always a sense of, hey, what's next with the Cleveland Browns? I mean, anytime there's a good feeling going around here, you always wonder, oh, good God, what hammer's going to fall next? Um, It really came out of nowhere. And it's a shame because he would have been a really solid part of this defense. And this defense is good and it's deep. But, uh, you know, they were using him as a run blitzer. He was excelling in it. Uh, you know, they could probably if you they could probably use one more linebacker. So it would have really worked out well. But I understand. I mean, they got to I mean, they found out what, two days before the fourth preseason game. And, you no, that's it. You know, we're done. We're out of here. We're bailing on this. And you see this. They did it with him. They did it with Josh Gordon. And there comes a point where, you know what, you know, a lot of guys and majority of this roster is 25 years and younger. So you want to know what? And these are the guys that are going to make or break this front office and, you know, coaching staff. That's obviously another story. But th- this core group is what's going to make or break it. You know, Michael Kendricks was a Brown for what, what, five, six weeks. So, I mean, he was going to make or break anything. He was a nice piece to have. So right. they just another way they ended up having to move on. And, you know, how he was able to sign with Seattle for two weeks, knowing that this was just going to drop, and it did. And, you know, obviously now, you know, suspended forever long it's going to be. I mean, it's, it's weird because, I mean, we talk about so many things with NFL players and how they get on the wrong side of the law. Inside of trading, that was a new one. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable to me that, that Seattle would pick him up. But I guess it was after week one signing, he, he, they could cut him and just pay him on a week-by-week basis. That's really ignoring all of the other flags you would have with that. And you uh, and you know what? You could only get away with it probably with the crime that he committed. If it was a guy who, if it was the DV case or something else, nobody would have touched him. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just, but I mean, you know, these at the end of the day, these guys have decisions to make and it doesn't always, you know, maybe they don't always come from the heart or the soul, you know? Right. A couple, couple pass rushers, uh, Carl Nassib and Nate Orchard. Orchard, a very likable family man from what we saw in Hard Knocks. Mm-hmm. Nassib, absolutely hilarious financial advice giver. Um, well, you know, for, you know, from this area, you know, like everybody kind of, you know, this area where I'm at, you know, on the East Coast here in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, everybody dabbles themselves that there's some sort of financial type of guy. And obviously a guy who comes from the state, it, look, even, you know, if that wasn't you know what he was majorly focused on, every, you know, there's plenty of people on campus that he would have talked with and would have known it from. I still wish he was here. 
the, this D-line, I, I love the starting group. I love the first four to five. But after that, there's major questions. Uh, the starting D-line and the main players of this D-line are playing way too many snaps. I, I think maybe they moved on from Nassib a little prematurely. I, I think he would have been good here. And the good thing about it is he could play some interior. He could play some rush end. They like to bring Miles Garrett inside. They like to bring Emmanuel Ogba inside. So it would have been a nice piece to have. And, you know, he definitely came off well. There's no doubt about it. Nate, Nate Orchard, it was kind of odd. He was a guy that was featured because everybody knew Nate Orchard was not going to be a part of this final 53. And look, the way they do this, sometimes HBO wants that guy, mm-hmm. you know, because they do like to do like the follow and, you know, and then there's the, you know, and it becomes the public story. And that's the way it went for Nate Orchard. And I mean, obviously game four, the intercept, you know, jumped up, took the interception of the house. It just made for all the more, you know, the television of the reality television. It made it for a better sell and it all worked out well. But, you know, went to Buffalo, was there for a cup of coffee. And, you know, as far as I know, still now, now, you know, currently unemployed. All right. All right. Now, Baker Mayfield, of course, in terms of his play on the field, we want to talk a lot about that in terms of his behavior in camp. How do you think he carried himself on hard knocks? I mean, there's going to be I think one of the things you're going to notice with a guy like Baker Mayfield is you feel differently if he's your guy. Like, you know, if you're an outsider looking at him, you're like, oh, well, he's kind of cocky and this. and Oh, you know, like you almost like you find a reason to want to point the finger and say, oh, oh, maybe he's that guy. But he's he's not inside the building. And you saw this from the first reps he got in the preseason. Now, what rookie quarterback jumps in for his first snaps with 128 left in the first half and is able to get his team down the field and get a field goal? I think the one biggest misunderstanding with Baker Mayfield is because he likes to go out a little bit because he's 23 years old. um, Everybody, what's he doing at a Laker game drinking a beer? He was doing his offseason training in Los Angeles. He went to the Laker game with the, I guess it was his girlfriend at the time, now his fiance. So he had a beer at the game. You know, so, but people, you know, but inside the building, he's on it. And he jumped right in for his first snaps. He jumped right in his first snaps in the preseason. And the one thing is because he maybe and the, the bad night, you know, obviously out in Arkansas and, you know, you know, like they all say, you know, I had a, you know, had a you know long week there one night, obviously had a long week there one night in Arkansas, but people didn't understand the guy he was inside the building. And Baker Mayfield is 110% football. He asks questions. He's engaged. He's a smart guy. They went out there this Sunday and every one of those guys felt all right, we've got our guy. And he hadn't even started an NFL game yet. And it showed up with him putting 42 on the board. Yeah, it was a very impressive game. And I, I tell you what, one of the things I look for is what other quarterbacks are emerging because every one of them, we've we've watched Manning and Roethlisberger and Brady dominate this league for 15 years now. And the last thing I want in when the league is fairly much wide open is for another one to emerge. And with him and Mahomes at the same time, you know, there are additional fears in the AFC. I'm not... I'm uh, not but saying it's good for the, that. It's good for the league, though. I mean, because we got to stop kidding ourselves. Tom Brady's not going to be around forever. Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, Philip Rivers. I mean, these guys are, I mean, granted, they're all hanging on by a thread. But, you know, we're, we could lose four of those guys within the next season or two season. And let's see, who's the next part of group? And I got to tell you this, you know, third year, second year, rookie group, we got a lot of 
fun guys, and it, 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 it and they play the game a little different. I mean, you know, they've grown up with the hey, I had four wide at seven years in seventh grade football. So you know, the league needs this. You know, we as fans, we watch it. We need it. It's you know, we're headed. To, we're definitely trending towards a different area. And you know, this league is about to lose a lot of these veteran quarterbacks because look, you, you can't beat Father Time. It's just not going to happen. My my beef with it is that I like football and I like baseball for the same way. In, to be a sport where you can win by different philosophical means. And the, the sport has trended so far towards favoring the receivers, favoring the quarterbacks, that I think I'm unhappy with it in that perspective. I love great defensive football. Really love watching that. And, and I'd like to see a, a, a greater balance to the game than what we've got right now. But anyway. Well, I mean, maybe that. there's ways to tweak it seven yards. You know, maybe make the bump rule or the hold rule seven yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't just let the offense be dropping 50 to 60 every week. And, I mean, look, everybody's watching. We know everybody's watching. But these Thursday night games that started at 830 and, you know, we're, we're already on the Friday morning before the final gun. Yeah, I do agree with where you're coming from there because they're never going to cut out. They're never going to cut out to commercials in the TV timeout. So that's not going to happen. No, no. They, uh, yeah, they're doing what they can, I guess, to, to make the game popular. Uh, let's let's move on to what what in terms of Mayfield that you've seen since OU. What's the, been the biggest surprise in terms of his either his development or what he does that you weren't aware of what he does before he showed up? I think the one thing I you know I've learned is is that he is a lot more student of the game I think than he was given credit for. Um, just the way with through six quarters. Now uh, you know uh, he was able to put up uh, I think it was seventeen points week one. His first NFL start, this Cleveland Browns team scored 42 points. Wow. The quarterback, whether responsible or, you know, or not, committed four turnovers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just unfathomable to think that they were able to do this. The other thing is, is he doesn't care who he's throwing to. Daniel Fells, I had screamed for the first all preseason in the first couple of weeks of the season. Why are we even throwing the ball to Daniel Fells? He finds Daniel Fells, you know, open at the 17-yard line, hits him perfectly, and Daniel Fells, who is, you know, 30 yards short of being 30 30 pounds uh, light of being an offensive tackle, you know, catches it, splits two defenders, takes it down, and I just think it's the type of vibe that he brings to it, and I think the guys around him just straight buy in. You know what he is, and the biggest thing we started to see is there was nothing between the hashes with Tyrod Taylor. He doesn't look there. If that's where the play is called to, his thing was, I'm going to get sacked or I'm going to run. Baker Mayfield, that's where he loves to go to. And you have a David Njoku, a six foot five, 250-pound tight end, who's just an absolute freak athlete. Doesn't really know how to run routes yet. But you know what you can always do with a tight end like that is, well, you're going to go down the left seam or you're going to go down the right mm-hmm. seam. If they worry about the stuff underneath, it's coming to you. You know, we'll have somebody behind you. My ball might go over your head. But, you know, 15 to 25 range, we're going to find you there. First, boom, two two for 40. Uh, and now this week, David Njoku came back with a little bit more confidence. And he was able to come off a block on one play and just catch a little dump from Baker and turn it into a 10-yard play. Baker, he's not – I mean, he's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. You're not really ever going to worry about like a Deshaun Watson where he leaves the pocket goes 50 yards to the house. He'll leave the pocket looking to make a play. If he's got to pick up five, six, or seven, he'll do everything to do that. But th- there's a smart football player there. And there's also a football player with inside this quarterback body. All right, very good. Um, let's let's 
put this question another way because I think this is a way, an interesting way to ask it to people. But you have Baker Mayfield right now, and you can have his expect, expectation of future growth. Or you can pick another quarterback in the history of the game where you know their career arc in advance. Who would you trade Mayfield's current future for in terms of a career arc of someone else? Well, I mean, it's it's difficult because, you know, we're talking about this franchise. So it's hard to say, uh, well, you know, I think Baker Mayfield will lead to titles here. It's just hard to say because of this franchise. And it's just never been something, obviously, that we've, you know, seen in the second part of this act of the Cleveland Browns. Hmm, this is this is a good one, though. I, I guess you think of your guys who, you know, won Super Bowls, but were also, you know, very team-oriented. I mean, well, maybe not one Super Bowls, but maybe a Jake DeLong type. Like, he's still going to be the football player at the end of the day. And a lot of times people are going to look back and look over and say, wow, I didn't realize he was good as he was. You know, that type of guy. Um, maybe if it was like like a Chad Pennington, a guy who got onto the field and gave you everything he had and, you know, didn't win – but it was just like well, he did everything he possibly could to win, and he was running, and he shouldn't run, and just those types of guys. Because I mean, there's something special about Baker. There really is. It's, and it's not. You know, you, you know, you look at Rosen, you look at Allen, uh, you know, obviously you look at Sam Darnold. Bigger guys probably have better physical gifts. Just the thing within Baker and putting him in this city, and you know, Cleveland is you know a city where it's it's a lot more about character than stature. You know, what kind of guy are you? And that's the thing with Baker Mayfield, because he just brings it, the ball player in him. You know, there's going to be a time where he takes a hit he shouldn't have hit, he shouldn't take, but it's because, you know what, it was third and six. I had a dive five yards away, and he's going to go head first. May get dinged, whatever, but he's going to sell himself out, and he does not give a crud about this franchise being 1-31 or about the last time they went to a playoff game. That, that is a marvelously low bar you're setting, a very reasonable level to say Pennington or DeLome is the player you'd trade him for. To me, the guy, and, and I think there is some injury risk with Mayfield, and you just mentioned some of that risk there. To me, the guy I think he might have a similar career arc to, and, and it would be pretty good still to have this, is Burt Jones, an old Colt quarterback. He had the swagger. He ran a lot, took some chances with his body that way, had the big arm and, until he got hurt. But, uh, you know, these things uh, can happen. Mayfield, obviously, is a very good one to me and, and uh, frankly scares me as a Ravens fan that, that he's going to be around for a long time and, uh, and be a good one. Uh, well, we were not too thrilled about Lamar Jackson headed to Baltimore either. <laughs> I, I would be a lot less worried in your position, I'll tell you that right now. So, okay. Well, as long as, as long as we don't blow out an ACL by trying to use him as a glorified running back right now. <laughs> okay. So in terms of the, the 2018, the playoffs, I think – You'd be a fool not to think that the the Browns have a real chance at it this year. What what does Mayfield need? And maybe I don't want to put those words in your mouth, but but what does Mayfield <laughs> need to do to get the Browns to the playoffs this year? See, the playoffs are tough because I mean you have to talk about every every you know facet of the game, and I, I have some doubts. Uh, we were a lot more excited about the secondary until Terrence Mitchell went down, but even still, Derek Carr went right after him and went after everybody. We're good with Denzel Ward. But we're getting to the point now where teams are already like, well, well, you're going to let Denzel Ward take this guy out and we'll just play, you know, the rest of the game 10 on 10. So it's going to be tough because it involves all the other facets of the game. But, you know, offensively, I mean, you look at it. You know, initial debut was able to put up 42 points. If they can put up decent numbers, 
you know, they have a defensive line that's able to take care of a bunch of ball games. But, you know, if, for playoffs this year, I'll be honest, I, I don't see it. And I don't think that's really what it's about. And this is part of one of the things that's aggravated me is a guy like Carlos Hyde has been a featured back to this point. You're play, you know, you're featuring him with the intention that maybe you're going to the playoffs this year. But even still, it's 3.4 yards per carry. You have Duke Johnson. You have Nick Chubb. I think we just need to develop. And there's a core here, 25 and under. And it's a really, really good core. I think it's time to just let those guys play, get acclimated, get adjusted with each other. And especially in a game like this where Baltimore Ravens, twice a year. Cincinnati Bengals, twice a year. Pittsburgh Steelers, twice a year. Get these games involved in the games that, you know, if they don't win them the first time, but at least they're getting their taste of, you know, these rivalries, what these games mean, and what do we got to do to get ourselves over. And I'm looking forward to it with Baker Sunday um, because this is the first home start. So normally Baker Mayfield is always on 10. He's probably going to be on about 16 for this one. <laughs> so, But it's going to be fun. It's really going to be fun. But I'm just – I'm excited about where he can take this. But it's so hard to – and, you know, I've gotten some Debbie Downer of this. as I, You know, and this is me – and these are Ohio – you know, Cleveland Browns fans for 25 years. Oh, well, well you're, you're just hating. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You really expect them to go from 1 and 31 to 9 and 7 or 10 and 6 or something of this nature? You know, and even still, through the quarter mark, one win, which is fantastic. You know, some people, you know, we should have won Sunday, but didn't. So there's a lot of this with the youth of learning how to win, having confidence in each other when, you know, every now and then, like it did Sunday, it all fell apart. Can you make one more play after you've already made 10? But this is all stuff about growing and being a player in this league. All right. All right. So you mentioned the the uh, running backs. I do want to talk about them a little bit. Maybe we jump to that right now since you, since we were on it. I see that Hyde has had about two-thirds of the carries this year. It looks like 83 out of 129 have been to him, even though Chubb was extremely effective against Oakland, I thought. Uh, I'm not missing that, right? That's I have the correct game? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So what, what, take us through the three running backs and, and how you see their, their time being split. Is Duke Johnson being used more split out now at this point? Duke Johnson's not being used much of all, which is an issue. And the strangest thing about it is, is they extended him, which, you know, I, I, was, you know, I, I mean, I understand they signed Carlos Hyde. They had money to play with. You know, obviously they signed him before they drafted Nick Chubb, you know, Carlos Hyde, Ohio State kid. You know, it made for a nice talking point. And I wasn't really down on the, you know, bringing him in, but, but he's just, he's slow to the hole. He's not the athlete on paper that Nick Chubb is. Nick Chubb is, you know, uh, 0.15, you know, 0.15 faster as a 40. His vertical jump, broad jump, all that stuff is really, really solid. Carlos Hyde is a good running back, not very athletic. So he's leaving yards on the field that I think a guy like Nick Chubb would take. Nick Chubb, I mean, there's no better story from what he went through at Georgia, stayed four years, how he even stayed a fourth year after the first injury, I have no idea. But a monster senior season, uh, great athletic tester, great kid just all around. I mean, the guy understands and appreciates how lucky he got from the injury he had to be able to be back to be doing this. And I'll be honest, the, the two long runs surprised me a little bit just because, like, you know, you see guys excel in college and then you're like, all right, well, is that speed and you what they're running at? Is this going to play on this level? And it most certainly did. Um, now, Duke Johnson, it's, it's an ultimate mystery because – as you know, uh, you know, as they moved on from Corey Coleman, as they moved on from Josh Gordon, he was like, "Well, you have a really good receiving running back, 
And, you know, Jarvis Landry is not playing a ton of slot. He's kind of positioning the main role of, you know, your outside wide receiver one. So you figure, all right, well, Duke Johnson, maybe he'll get some more, you know, slot reps. As a pay. And it really hasn't happened. His usage has been way down. It's confusing, especially because if you look at the front office, they handed this guy a contract extension. Obviously, they showed their commitment to him. And Duke was kind of Duke was kind of nervous. He didn't know if it was coming or not. Kind of went a little Twitter dark, you know, did some weird posts, stuff like that. So it's weird that he's not being used. And, I mean, he's he, – he, I mean, you guys know you, you faced him you know, from the Baltimore Ravens standpoint. But, I mean, he's just a very, very good back. The, the, usually he's productive with what you give him. So all of a sudden now it's just like, well, he's kind of not in the fold. It picked up a little bit last week with Baker Mayfield. Maybe there's some thoughts, you know, Tyrod is going to tuck and run anyway. So maybe it doesn't matter. But Duke Johnson's a guy that's got to play more. Nick Chubb's got to play more. Carlos Hyde should be the guy after Nick Chubb rips off a you know seven-yard run on first and ten, where maybe you throw Chubb in then. I mean, you throw in Carlos Hyde then. You know, if you want to call a play where it's you know up the middle, get it to third and one, or see if he gets it, or run a play action. It shouldn't be Carlos Hyde comes out and oh, we'll put Nick Chubb in now. It should certainly be a role reversal. Okay, and more more spread of snaps is what I'm getting from you on that, at least at the one hundred. I, I mean, at worst, it should be a third all around. I mean, I'll settle for that at this point. <laughs> okay, all right. So let's talk a little bit about receivers. You mentioned Johnson possibly having time in the slot here, and Landry's role on the outside. Tell us more about Landry. Did, did Landry overstep his own leadership role with some of the things he we saw in, in Hard Knocks? I don't think so. Um, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, a lot of these LSU guys, they're loud. They're vocal. Um, and look, these things get out for a reason. Uh, some, you know, it's not like, you know, that's the thing. Everybody gets excited with stuff from Hard Knocks sometimes. But it's nothing like it's it's one part of what is training camp, which is a long, 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 which is even the thing. You know, um, Corey Coleman was made out to look like he was a problem inside the building, off the field, and was a problem on the field. I talked to plenty of beat writers, plenty of guys at Brown's camp, and Corey Coleman was having a solid camp. I think it just came to the point that they were 100% done with him and didn't, you know, that was it. We're done. It's over. It doesn't matter. And it was kind of ironic. He didn't even get to play in a preseason game to maybe show the fact that he was getting it done on the field. So sometimes things are personal, but you see a small, you know, small amount put on a big television show like Hard Knocks, and this happens. But no, I mean, that's the genuine, that's the legit side of Jarvis Landry he you know it's not we've reached a point now where yes these guys want to get paid but they also want to win football games because you know that also leads to off the field money but Jarvis Landry there's no joke I was a little doubting about you know okay he's going to come here he's going to be this guy but I mean especially when he got the contract extension because then it was like all right let's see you talk to talk now that you're getting paid big and you don't really care and no, everything about him, he's, he's 100%, you know, got a little of the junkyard dog in him. He's just that guy. He's committed, and he wants to win. I mean, he's been in the league now, obviously, you know, fifth season. He wants to win football games. I, I think he, fe- you know, felt good about it when he first got here, but then what happened, you know, the rest of the free agency period, the draft and everything that's gone on, I mean, he's got no problem. I mean, and he is 100% a leader. I mean, you know, he talks. People certainly listen. That's good to hear. Landry, uh, Obviously, did not have a real impressive yards per catch number last year, which is a big dig on him, despite leading the NFL in receptions. But uh, it, it was a 
he was a receiver a lot of people wanted the Ravens to sign. I didn't really think it was a good idea because of that at yards per catch thing. But looking back on it and some of the problems that, that they've had, maybe, maybe it would have been a good call. Uh, let's talk Callaway now because obviously he's a guy who uh, who had some problems in camp that we don't need to go over again. Obviously, we've done enough of that. that. Let's talk about his play on the field in terms of what he really brings the Browns. Um, first thing is, is, you know, everybody you're always looking for, who's the guy that can pop the top off the defense and Callaway's done that to this point. And, you know, that was even what drove in the talking point of, you know, Tyrod Taylor missed him big time early in that, uh, early in the first half of the Thursday night game with the Jets. I mean, it was all over national television. So it it kind of brought the, are we getting close to Baker? We're getting close to Baker. But a lot of it is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, here's a guy just getting back to complete football player. You know, missed the entire 2017 season, but now he's got to do it. I mean, it's like he didn't finish his senior year of college and he's getting thrown into grad school. So there's a lot going on. And now, but also keep in mind, he just went from a quarterback like Tyrod Taylor, slow, methodical, to an absolute 110%, you know, on the ball, reads what's going on to the line of scrimmage and knows where he wants to throw the ball within two to two and a half seconds. So it's now, it's almost like he got accelerated again. So it's difficult. And look, they don't really have much else because they need him for what he can do for his, you know, verticality and his, you know, his pass routes. So he's kind of learning on the fly. Um, you know, obviously, you know, tip the ball for the pick six on Sunday. Difficult. Another drop later in the game uh, led to another intercepted pass later in the game. But then all of a sudden nails a square out at 20 yards and takes it 58 yards. So it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of rawness there with Antonio Callaway. But I think, you know, for me, I was still positive Sunday, though, because when he came through with that reception late in the game, you know, for me, it's kind of, you know, the older guy in me, ah, rookie wide receivers. You live and die with the mistakes sometimes because you know there's that possibility he's going to get the, you know, get the big one. And he did later in the game. Uh, They say maybe they're going to dial down his snap numbers. That may all just be talk because I don't really know that there's anybody else that they'd be confident in giving his snap numbers to. Right. It seems like I, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, that the depth at wide receiver was very limited for the Browns in terms of uh, who was there on the depth chart. But I wanted you to go through that if you if you if you care to. Well, I think the thing is, is um, Rashard Higgins is kind of what we're seeing traditionally from a guy like Jarvis Landry. He seems to be like a good third down bet and a find the sticks or, you know, set, you know, hook in his own between the hashes. He's done a great job with that. Jarvis are they using Landry. him in the slot? Where do they use him? Higgins playing some slot. Landry is obviously playing some slot. They kind of multiply. They uh, kind of switch. You know, they kind of keep it fresh and they keep moving everybody around, which is starting to become more and more the in vogue thing now. You know, I mean, you are a slot receiver maybe by quotes, but you know, look, everybody's kind of moving around now, and you know, it's just you know, I always go back to the remember the Titans line from the movie, and it's like they're playing Monday Night Football out there, Coach. You know, everybody wants something different. They throw some different stuff out there. But Higgins has shown crucial in his role. You know, Jarvis Landry, as much as, you know, the Miami mystique of him was is the, you know, he'll catch 13 balls but maybe only get 85 yards. He's running a lot more vertical routes right now, which, you know, almost warrants the price that they're paying him as a wide receiver one. So you're seeing more of that. You know, Callaway's their game breaker. They're trying to mix him in kind of like a Tyreek Hill type of stuff. And that's where I get into the theory of you're force feeding, you know, a rookie who lacked experience. And it's just not right. The right way to do it. He's good in what he does now. Let him get confident with that. And then let's slowly put a little bit more on his plate. But as far as that, that's really the only three wide receivers they play. Rod Streeter's Rod here, takes a snap here and there. Derek Willies. 
you know, he was a you know undrafted free agent. They kind of got like these guys a little bit on special teams. There's a guy, I don't know why he's not getting more run yet, uh, Damian Ratley out of Texas A&M. They drafted him in the sixth round. But he's kind of like the guy, if you looked around at the group and you'd be like, well, is there anybody here who kind of resembles a Josh Gordon? Uh-huh. You look at Damian Ratley and you say, oh, six foot three, yoked up at about 220. Oh, runs around a 4'4". Four, four. Um, but, you know, they drafted him knowing he was a project. But he, he's a project I'd like to get to see more, at least something from. Because Baker Mayfield, he don't care what number you wear. If you're the guy on that play and if he thinks you're going to be open, he's going to rip it. So, you know, go ahead and make a play. So, you know, they're going to have to start maybe working Ratley in a little bit too. Has Ratley been active for the games or has he been in one of the, he was one active. Of the he was active for New Orleans and he was active for the Jets game, yes. Okay, so I've had him like, like at least a Two couple of times. Two out of four. And, and it's in the first week one was a head scratcher. Week four, but I, I think with a veteran like Rod Streeter, they trust the special team ability a little bit more, which is effect, you know, which is hurting Ratley from getting a roster spot on a game day. All right, all right. So there's always a a fear that with a player like that, they're going to try and manipulate his number of activations to keep his roster as uh, his uh, practice squad eligibility as long as possible. Uh, could be possible, but I, I mean, a guy like Ratley with his size, his athletic ability, they they, they know there's. There's no way they can practice squat him. Okay, he, they'd be taken. They're right. They'd be taken. Oh, somebody him. would jump all over an athlete like that. Yep. All right. So let's let's move on to tight end where the where the Browns seem to have a little more depth. Uh, David Njoku obviously is is playing well, but tell us about Seth the Valves' return. I, you mentioned Fells earlier already, and and how those guys have uh, been used. Well, well, Fells, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he's kind of like the extended of you know the tackles. Obviously, you have a rookie at left tackle. Um, you know, Hubbard at right tackle is good, but he's a little bit undersized, better in pass pro than he is run. You know, Fells, you know, comes in with an MO of being a solid run blacker um, with Baker Mayfield. Like I said, look, I mean, if, if you're wearing an eight on your jersey, you're an eligible receiver, you got a shot at making a play. And we saw that with uh, Fells last week. David Njoku, I just, I think this is a guy that there's just so much raw and untapped potential and athleticism in this guy. Uh, you know, a late bloomer to the game, but just he, there's so much he can do. Baker's going to get it out of him. You know, I don't know if we're ever going to talk like a Gronk or a Kelsey, but we're going to talk that mid-range. He should have like a Greg Olson type of, you know, where he can kind of put up those type of numbers. He's that good of a guy. Um, set the valve. The weirdest thing with set the valve is I'm kind of concerned about where he might be with the structure of this front office. Because, look, we have a coaching staff. We're not sure how safe they are. Uh, we have, you know, a front office that's shown up, you know, they moved on from a, a Josh Gordon. They moved on from a Corey Coleman. And Seth DeValve, you know, is a guy now that's struggling with health, struggling with health. I like him. I think he's a great, I mean, you look at like the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, what they're able to do with the athleticism of their tight ends. I think Seth, Dow, Seth DeValve can be that type of guy, but it's so very hard to put in a game plan for a guy that whether or not you don't know if you're going to have him week in, week out, or even to put in a couple plays for him. So Seth DeValve's in a tough spot here. I, know, I wouldn't say you know his roster spot is in jeopardy anytime this season, but I, I do believe that John Dorsey and the other guys are looking around and wondering or not you know he's a guy long term. I mean, you already have the big athlete tight end, you have your true functional tight end in Daniel Fells, so you know maybe Deval is something he could move or you know that type of thing. And you know Josh, you know I mean John Dorsey's always going to tinker, and I just think Seth Deval's health is putting him in a real tough spot with this organization right now. <laughs> He didn't miss his rookie year, did he? Because in 2016-17, he's he played 28 out of 32 games. Yep. He didn't start. No, no, and he was a part of it. But the problem now, though, is we have this coaching staff. At any point, the plug can be pulled. 
I mean, we have no, you know, and you have a front office that's not tied to him. And John Dorsey, when he turned over 31 of this 53 this offseason, there's still that thing of is you're not my guy. You may have been the guy here before. And obviously it's not it's not stopped them from moving on from anybody at this point. And obviously players who didn't have the ilk of the production of a set the valve. All right. All right. Very good. Okay, so uh, we've talked a little bit about the offense uh, at the skill position players. How about we move on and we talk about the offensive line a little bit? That's a, a deep interest of mine. But uh, start at left tackle with Desmond Harrison. This, is, I mean, it was for me, and this was just one of those things where, like, you know, I'm learning as the more and more I cover the Browns, there's sometimes where things are just, it's just so Browns. And a guy that didn't start and, you know, usually came in with the second, third unit in the preseason. Oh, we're gonna Desmond Harrison may start week one at left tackle against Pittsburgh Steelers, and then it started to pick up a little bit more steam and a little bit more. And it's not that I doubted Desmond Harrison's game. You know, I you know I, I'm a big draft guy. I, you know, a ton of, of draft stuff I follow. But here he is. He was an oddball rookie because I mean he's going to be 25 in like a couple of weeks. You know, he was. We we're at this era now where some of these kids just want to find a way to get to the NFL without really doing college, whether it's class or whatever, you know, they're in and out of school or two and a half years, or they bailed on school and then realized football was the best thing to them. Like Desmond Harrison at his age, uh, you know, went down to mobile, couldn't do anything, said he was sick. He was only 280 pounds. Everybody loved his skill, but then you have drawbacks of, Oh, he's too light. Oh, he's too old. You know, Oh, he got kicked out of Texas because apparently he likes marijuana then more than he likes football. But it, which made him the perfect, you, you know, undrafted free agent. But they put him out there week one, and there were three, you know, three penalties. It was a rough showing. But that's what happens, and this kind of aggravated me, is, well, you're putting this kid in a no-win situation. So now it's, you know, maybe you have something, or maybe you're going to make or break him right away. So he didn't break. Started week two, got better. Started week three, got better. Started week four, got better. So it's impressive watching the young man grow Granted, it's probably a lot of help to him that he's a veteran like Joel Batonio there to his right. But he's really, really stepping into it. Uh, the pass blocking last week was ridiculous. They called him for a holding penalty, which was an absolute joke on a run. He literally got his hands under this guy's shoulder pads inside, buried the guy into the ground. I think it was one of those ones where they threw a penalty because it maybe looked too like it hurt. Oh, Mo, he hurt the guy. We got to throw a penalty. It, it wasn't a hold. He absolutely demolished this guy. There's a lot of promise there, and but there's not much invested. Because, look, with Desmond Harrison, when they brought him in as an undrafted free agent, I said, look, he could be here three weeks. He could be here three months. He could be here three years. Because the kid had a track record of you really can't trust him. So far, everything has panned out. And if you can get a left tackle where you only picked him up as an undrafted free agent, you're saving a ton of money. You didn't spend any draft capital on him. It may work out. But as for right now, he's a starting left tackle of this team. He's got no heat on him. None whatsoever. Now, this is not a perfect comp, but it, would Ravens fans reasonably think analogously about Jared Gaither, who was a fifth-round supplemental pick? So not, not a zero draft cost, but a little bit. And yep. Okay, great. <laughs> I see five penalties for Harrison so far. You're telling me one of them is not real, but, uh, but that's and still— three of, And three of them were week one. Three of them were week one. All right. When you threw the undrafted free agent out as a starter and didn't even start a preseason game. <laughs> All right. So is he is he a length guy? Is he a uh, oh, yeah, uh, big big long guy? I mean, you probably would look at him more like body wise. You're thinking more basketball style. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, like an undersized power forward. I mean, he's got a long reach. Everything about him, everybody likes. But I mean, there were just so many question marks. 
it was just tough to put a draft. And it also, it hurt. I mean, you want to draft guys who are 21, 22 years old. He was already going to be 24. So, I mean, it was just the problem of, well, you're going to go this route. You know, hopefully he accepted the best offer for him. And, you know, obviously the Browns, you know, they had a need. It was tough for them when Joe Thomas retired when he did. It wasn't really a great offseason to have to replace the left tackle. So, I mean, it hurts that Joe left and his body gave up when it did. But so far right now, I mean, for a guy that you got for basically nothing, and keep in mind you're paying nothing as an undrafted free agent, I don't think they could ask for anything better. Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't even worry about the age thing a whit with a player like that because a one-contract player where you don't invest a draft pick is no problem. The problem is when you have the frictions on a first-round pick or or even on a lower pick where you have some ability to, to, to that they may be a franchise player and you may get that value out of them to create that additional friction, you, you really don't have any risk after that first contract. So you're going to have to pay market value for the guy. So is anybody going to have to pay market value for that guy? If you can get for nothing in terms of draft capital, a one contract player, I think that's fine. Oh, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, he, it, it's something that John Dorsey just looks like it's a big win. I mean, cause I mean, as a GM, you did your homework. I mean, obviously you know, somebody went and followed him around, knew everything about him. And somebody said, look, you know, we're going to sell, we're going to sell him on this. We're going to make this Hyundai look like an Audi and we're going to get him to come here and let him know he's going to have a legit shot. And, you know, he's, he, you know, Desmond Harrison has, you know, hit the ground running with it to this point. All right. So let's move on to left guard. Joel Batonio, was that left tackle for a little bit this, either this preseason or was thought about last no, year? He, well, yes, he was. Well, here was the thing. Um, we were told lovely little lines of Joel Batonio is plan Z at left tackle. Plan Z. And Joel Batonio started a couple preseason games at left tackle. So that's kind of what gets you sometimes is these Browns, they throw out these big lines and then they got to eat them back. You throw out, well, Joel Batonio is playing Z at left tackle. Then why is he at left tackle? I mean, what happened to A, B, C, D? Um, and look, Joel, Joel was a good sport about it. Some guys I know who know him. He, he didn't want to move to left tackle. I, I, part of it was he didn't want to be the predecessor to Joe Thomas. Part of it was is he was a left tackle. Now he's a left guard. Was totally fine with it. But, you know, in because of the fact, you know, Joe Thomas Joe Thomas kind of groomed him, groomed him. Company guy. If that's what you need me to do, I'll do it. You know, he was good out there. He was serviceable. Doesn't have a drop of the potential of a guy like what Harrison can bring you. He's... He's your left guard, and he's a darn good one, and that's the way it's going to stay. And you appreciate the guy taking one for the team, you know. For and it's always kind of different when because you, oh, well, he's a good guy. He took one for the team. Sometimes guys don't always take one for the team with a one in thirty-one franchise. But you know, he was willing to do it, and I think what you know, they got enough of Harrison in practice and said, we may have something here. Look, you know, you know, Joel can reverse what Joe did for him, you know give him the tap on the arm or, you know, knee, wherever. Hey, that's the guy you got to look for. Uh, you know, just be ready for this. And it, it, it's worked out well this far. And Joel's better at left guard where he was, you know, nice enough a guy to take one for the team. But, you know, he's a left guard. He's a really solid one. Okay, very good. I mean, Betonio was one of the four really great young guards in the division. That included Zeitler, who – uh, obviously, the Browns now have. But before we get to Seidler, let's talk about J.C. Treader a little bit at center. And uh, tell me what you will about him at this point in his career. I think um, they're, they're, they're a solid interior group. You know, I, you know we, we were sure about the interior of the line, even as much as they were yo-yo and Joel back and forth. We were sure. And even with uh, you know Zeitler, we didn't get to see much. 
He barely played in the preseason, but you know, look, they were like, look, don't worry about it. It's the plan to get him towards week one. And come, you know, he actually showed up, took some reps week four against Detroit in preseason. He was deemed ready to go. We like the interior. The tough spot here, though, is going further. Whether it's a Zeitler, whether it's a Treader, they spent an awfully high pick on Austin Corbett. And right now, he's been inactive twice on game day, too. So it's weird when you're talking about a franchise whose record has been this bad that they drafted a guy at 33, and somehow, some way, he's not good enough to suit up for game day. But they're grooming him for an interior spot, whether it's Treader, whether it's Zeitler. They maybe, you know, it seems like you would make a decision because you're not going to just take Corbett and sit him again in 19, but he's getting reps all along the interior. Um, the games he has played, he's done some, you know, uh, run blocking as an extra tight end. They're grooming him. You know, they really like his run. They're a little bit more concerned still with his anchor and pass pro. It's something he's still working on. Obviously, you know, he came from a small, you know, he came from Nevada, just like Joel Batonio. So they're working on that part of it. But I, they like him, and he was really, he really got better in the preseason. So it's kind of odd that he's almost going to inactive status. But he's a guy there, and it's going to be interesting. You know, with Treader, Treader's probably, you know, I mean, as a center, he's marginal. But now you think about a guy who they drafted at 33 who they think has a bright future. If you put a pick number 33 on him, Treader could be the guy who's kind of in trouble, I think. Now, I, I do want to separate the pre-Dorsey Brown picks from the from the post-Dorsey <laughs> Brown picks. But uh, Cam Irvin was, what, 17 they picked him? Or wherever they picked him was yes. pretty darn high in that first round. And I, by my reckoning, he has played all five offensive line positions and pretty much failed at all of them and is gone now. Yes, but he's also now a Kansas City Chief who just got a nice little extension and was bodying a couple of dudes on Thursday on Monday night. So it's weird. I mean, look, part of it is is I, I don't think Cleveland's not for everybody. Some of these guys get here, and now look, Cam Irving came from a you know I'm a big Florida State fan, so Cam Irving came from a pretty established college career at Florida State. You know, won a national title, and even his senior year, he moved from left tackle to center. So you know, there went a you know, like draft wise, you were like, oh my God, from left tackle to center was almost, you know, like, oh, you know, it like almost you think it's going to kill your stock. Still went top 20. But sometimes the losing mentality, some guys just can't deal with it. You know, Cam Irving got on the wrong side of some people and, uh, you know, he, he got moved on from. But, you know, he's found his way in Kansas City, which is funny because John Dorsey's here and John Dorsey was part of the reason that he's in Kansas City. So. All right. What about Zeichler now? Obviously a veteran player. What's he got left? Pro's pro. He's, he's, he's still a solid, solid right guard. Uh, week in, week out, PFF-wise, he usually grades the top uh, top level for the um, for the offensive line. You know, pass pro, you know, you're always going to get a solid effort pass pro. You know, every offensive guard prefers to run block. Obviously, you want to get down. You want to get a little bit more dirty so you can take away from those shots to the ribs. But, you know, um, you know, Batonio, you know, due to being here longer, is probably, you know, the the captain of the offensive line room. But I don't think there's any difference. I think him and Zeitler, I think they lead this room together. All right. Very good. Both young. Both were young guards together at one point. And uh, Hubbard is now the right tackle. Yes. Uh, came over from Pittsburgh. This was actually one me and a bunch of you know Browns guys got right. This is a guy we kind of liked. We were hoping there was a way to get him. Um, again, now here's the thing. Obviously, Desmond Harrison is not a you know 310 pound offensive tackle. Chris Hubbard, same thing. Um, he's a you know he's got his warts sometimes. Obviously, the size is going to get to him. And look, everybody has their issues with some of these guys coming off the edge in the NFL. You know, when these guys are running four fives, 
against any tackle. It's usually not the greatest of matchups. But, you know, holds his own. Uh, run game, solid. Uh, this week, actually, the entire offensive unit was very, very good of, of the offensive line as far as the pass blocking. All graded out very well. couple of minor hiccups. Um, but through four weeks now, we're starting to see them gel together. It's going to be interesting this week, though, because uh, I'm well aware what's what's <laughs> headed towards them towards Sunday and just a solid defense from top to bottom with the Ravens. Yeah, so a fair number of outside linebackers. What I will say about this is very few right tackles in the entire league have the kind of feet that you want for pass blocking. It's always yep. a trade-off left to right, and you're, you know, you want a power guy on one side, it's going to always be the right side. and uh, Or at least the, as far as I know, it's always been pretty much the right side. So anyway, you, you give up some to get somewhere else. All right, let's move on here. We, we talked through the offensive line a little bit. I do want to talk a little bit of scheme, but we kind of got probably should pick up the pace a little bit on this. So in terms of scheme, what what the Browns run? Do they use a fullback very often, two tight end sets? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, I mean, you're because they don't, re, they don't even have a fullback on the roster, you have Orson Charles as your fourth tight end. And now you think about Orson Charles, I mean, never really, you know, he, a little bit of a smaller tight end, a little bit more athletic tight end. Um, he does come in to block some. It's kind of hit or miss. Like, he really gets his assignment, or he horribly fails at it. So you know, that's what they use. So, I mean, you know, two tight end sets are stuff where they're going to use, you know, Orson Charles, but they'll use him as a, as a fullback. I'd say it's probably a 50-50 split as far as whether it's one back or he's actually lined up in the backfield. But I think they are – I think that's – that's also based on not the six quarters of Baker as much as it is the 10 quarters of Tyrod Taylor. I think it's going to be a lot more one running back. And, you know, on third and obvious pass situations, I think they want to go four, five wide. They, this is what they saw Baker excel at. I think they want to gravitate towards it. I think they're just still working on who are going to be this four, who are going to be this five when they go to these types of looks. Maybe it'll make, you know, create opportunities for Duke Johnson to get involved. Um, you know, wh- where are they going to use David Najoku? You know, do you use him inside? Because he is six foot five and the size he has, I mean, if you're going to get a five foot 11 and a half corner one-on-one with an island with David Najoku, you know, that's something you can exploit as well. It's uh, They're starting to gravitate more and more. I think what we saw the second half is, uh, the second half of the Jet game is they saw, they ran what Baker knew as far as the game plan they had put in for the Jets. It was enough to get themselves a W. This week we started to see some more, and it was a lot more spread out. And I don't think, you know, traditional two backs in the backfield is anything they really have in mind with Baker Mayfield because I think they just have so much faith in him. Why give him limited options when you can go four or five because he reads so well and diagnoses so well at the line of scrimmage? It seems to me like Baker would be a really good quarterback to try and run a lot against the nickel with. So you'd have th- you'd have three-wide three wide, one tight, one running back, that you would get those size advantages created by forcing the opposing nickel. So you you, you end up with six in the box out of that. Maybe mm-hmm. other teams, like Baltimore, have a safety who can come up and run support, but a lot of teams won't. In fact, what I'm predicting out of this, the, the matchup coming up, is the Ravens are going to probably play a lot of big nickel and not give the uh, Brown slot receiver the respect they may deserve by bringing in Chuck Clark, a safety, to play some nickel and support the run more. But we'll see. Uh, anyway, I, th- I I would have personally said that, and, they, and obviously the 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 Browns have a couple of guys who are pretty heavy runners in in Chubb and Hyde that that can, of course uh, yeah it would be uh, exceptional probably in that in that situation running against the nickel. All right, trick plays this year. Anything we've seen? 
Other than, you know, and now here's the funny one. Obviously, the two-point play against the Jets, you know, they ran the Philly special, which Baker Mayfield, I mean, I'm sorry, with Hugh, which Hugh Jackson told everybody, oh, no, no, it's a play that's been in our playbook for years. <laughs> and then somebody got to Todd Haley a couple days later, and he's like, uh, of course. He's like, it's a copycat league. You steal stuff from people. <laughs> so just yes, just yet another God who knows what was said. But no, not really much. And I think you know, part of it is, though, is, I mean, he really couldn't do that stuff with Tyrod. Just because, I mean, he's he's slower with everything. Will there maybe be some with Baker? I mean, look, if you ran, and apparently Baker Mayfield never practiced the Philly special, and they ran it with a guy throwing left-handed, as opposed to, you know, most of the time you you figure it's going to be righty just because there's more righties. Uh, No, but, I mean, maybe. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, Philly special, look, everybody loves to run it. Everybody wants to get a chance. That one's obviously out of the playbook for a few weeks at least. All right. Okay, well, let's move on to the defense now. And and you mentioned something earlier that caught my mind, but I want to come back to it now. And that is, I'm a big rotation on the defensive line guy. In fact, rotation in the front seven to the degree you can do it, particularly the outside linebacker as well, where they're, they're having high effort snaps. But the Browns, I, I noticed that uh, uh, Ogunjobi and Coley have had almost all of the interior defensive line snaps. Tell us, talk, start with that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Larry Ogunjobi is just absolutely blowing up as a second-year player. You know, here was a guy, you know, uh, went to University of Charlotte, you know, smaller school player. Uh, everybody saw, you know, a bunch of raw potential. But now, and I think part of it is, is because him and Miles Garrett are growing together and they're, and they're tight. I think they kind of feed off each other. You know, Larry Ogunjobi is just getting much better technically. Now, you watched him two sacks versus the Saints. You know, here he is just walking the center right into Drew Brees' lap. Eight-year veteran center. Drew, Blee, Drew Brees, obviously, as long as he's been in this league, these aren't stuff that should happen to them. But I think it's part of, wow, that's how really good he is, that he's just able to do this stuff against teams that aren't used to having it done to him. Um, Stacey, uh, Cauley, uh, nice player, nice rotational player. That is the biggest issue on the defensive line is who's that second potato as far as an interior guy. Emmanuel Agba can do it. They're not putting too much on his plate as he gets back 100%, you know, had off-season surgery for a broken ankle. So he's slowly finding his way back. But, yeah, Larry Ogunjobi, I mean, it's just been fun to watch. But I do have this concern when you're asking these 320-pound guys to maybe get four, five plays a game off. And, you know, they give up a boatload of passing yards to the Steelers, a boatload of passing yards to the Saints. You know, Derek Carr hung 465 on them. You can't keep these guys out there for all those reps. Not only are they not going to be effective, they're going to be absolutely winded. Yeah, you 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 covered all that because the fourth quarter pass rush, the ability to maintain that freshness is something that I've really been impressed with with the Ravens so far this year. But I, I see snap numbers like that. And you, you guys got uh, Carl Davis from the Ravens, and he's played 19 snaps so far this year. Uh, What's going well, on with that? Well, there's a guy who maybe should be taking more snaps next to Larry Ogunjobi. There's a guy who, if you want to give Larry Ogunjobi a blow, um, for me, you know, part of it is, is oh, we'll still work with these guys into the defense. I, I got a hard time understanding that because interior defensive tackle, there are some complexities, mm-hmm. but you also have a middle linebacker that says, yo, A-gap, hit it and hit it hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, it, it, but we got to get to this point because, the thing is, is if you're not confident enough giving these guys a lot of reps, what's going to happen when you run a, uh, you know, a Larry Ogunjobi into the ground and you've got no choice but to force feed these guys reps? So at least get them somewhat trending in that direction. And, you know, I was excited. I mean, Carl Davis was a guy we pegged. As soon as you guys had mm-hmm. cut him, 
We knew we had needs. He was a guy we wanted. And, you know, and it was him. And actually, and they traded a pick for a young man from the Saints named Devereaux Lawrence. He hasn't dressed yet. They gave up a future seventh for him. And he's coming off of ACL. They gave up a future seven for him. He was an undrafted free agent. And he hasn't taken a snap. So it's like, well, I mean, do you really like these guys? I mean, what are we saving them for? I mean, is it, you know, is it like the nice napkins you're going to use at Thanksgiving? Because we need to see some of these guys. They got to get on the field. That's a, that's a really good point. I mean, my my fear as a Browns fan would be that these guys won't be ready when the inevitable injuries occur. And on the defensive line in particular, the Ravens did have a season that they got through with five offensive line for the whole year. But that doesn't happen very often. You get no. injuries. All right. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, I did want to talk. Miles Garrett, he deserves two minutes of his own conversation, probably at least. Tell us what you're most excited about about him and, and, and what do you think he does to opposing defenders and how does he make the players around him better, maybe? I, I think the thing with Miles Garrett is it's, he's just you get this ridiculous athlete and he's also he's just different. And like I, I, I had on the show, I was telling guys, I'm like, guys. This defensive line, we're trending towards a nickname. They need some sort of nickname. We're slowly getting there. And, you know, Larry Ogunjobi, who wants to be a doctor when he's done with the NFL. Miles Garrett, who's into dinosaurs. And everybody's like, I don't know, but I'm thinking some something Big Bang Theory-ish, you know, because, like, they're slightly kind of nerds. But they're also these guys that can just absolutely beat the daylights out of you. He's a ridiculous athlete, Miles Garrett. Now he's learned to create the separation between the blocker in front of him. So you want to know what? I don't have to just always go swim move. I, because if I get a hair of a difference between me and you, I'm going to school you with my athleticism. And he's done that. And then there's and then they kick him inside. And the poor guard's like, well, dang, if the left tackle can't block him, what is my chances going to be to hang on with him? And he, he's just a special player. And the thing that he does is, even, I mean, he could play all season long and not get one sack, but you are going to get so many other sacks and pressures because he's just that good. It makes everybody else's life easier. A guy like Gennard Avery, a fifth-round pick that they brought in, he's been a really, really solid player. And, you know, a ton of credit to him. But part of it comes to when, you know, you're the second, third, fourth option to Miles Garrett. You know, it's like when he went out with the handsome guy back in the day, you know, a whole bunch of girls came over, but he wasn't going home with everybody. So, I mean, you know, Jannard Avery gets just like, well, all right, me versus the right tackle? I'll run 4-6. I'll take this right tackle, no problem. And it just makes it so much easier, and it does. It makes guys so much better. And when these guys don't get home, and that was part of the issue on Sunday against the Raiders, you see that the back seven, there's still concerns. You have a 465 yards. You can't expect your D-line to do it all. And, you know, maybe, you know, these guys are going to have to work harder because as great as Miles Garrett is, he ain't going to get five sacks a game. That's the other thing about Garrett is he's only missed about one snap per game, I believe. Something like 294. It's, 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 it's another one. I mean, and look, you know, they're good enough individual players, Larry Ogunjobi and Miles Garrett right now, that they could kind of be the headline of a defensive line. So, look, Miles, stay right here. Give me your helmet. Take three plays. You want to know what? Take him with you. Let's get Larry off the field for three – you just got to do something because these guys are so vital. You have so much invested in them, and you're not really playing for 2018. You're playing for the future. You need the, the, the most crushing thing would be right now if something happened to either one of those two guys because they are strict. I mean, Pro Bowl talents, excellent guys, work hard, don't give a crap that this franchise has been bad. They show up every day, and they work their tails off. 
All right. Very good. Very good. Um, is there anything else that concerns you about the defensive line or is something that you'd point to and say, yeah, this is really good. Also, we haven't touched on that. I, there's not much that concerns me. I, I think they kind of ride or die defensively as far as that defensive line. You know, when, uh, you know being here in New Jersey, you know, I, I did a bunch of Jet shows in addition to covering Jets Browns. And I kept telling everybody. The Browns are going to win, and the reason they're going to win is because the defensive line is just that much better than a Jets O-line. And, and they are, and they were, and they were able to just hold it down enough. And, you know, it was, you know, the, the team was able to get enough points on the board. You know, obviously they had given up a lot of points. You know, they had given up, uh, you know, almost uh, the points, I'm sorry, tw- uh, 21 to Pittsburgh. Gave up over, you know, 20 to New Orleans. That's what ended up costing them that game. They were able to hold them under 20 with the Jets. They were able to get the W. It's just you just can't ask these guys for more. And it almost seems that we're at a point now where week in, week out, it's going to be on the defensive line. And A, it's not fair. But B, you just can't expect these guys to sustain it for 16 weeks having to carry an entire defensive unit. Well, what are they, how are they managing the pass rush? Are they, are they mostly rushing four with just those guys? Are they doing a lot of blitzing? What are they doing? The blitzing of Greg Williams is still there. It's dialed back a little bit, though. I, you know, I think he's a little bit more confident in the depth they have, you know, last year it was, you know, we had 11, 12 guys and if they were subbing or somebody was injured, it just wasn't good. Now there's a lot more teeth to it. You know, Ryan, linebacker wise, they'll, they'll play five guys, you know, Jannard Avery only really plays in nickel and dime, you know, a guy they really like, but just because they think he's better in the pass rush scenario. So they use him that way, but there's just more depth to it. And I think Greg Williams feels that maybe he doesn't have to blitz as much. Maybe he needed to a little bit more last week. Because Derek Carr was just, you know, play, you know, Derek Carr was able to say, "I'm going to get rid of this ball as fast as I possibly can. We're going to win a matchup here." Whereas maybe if you were able to find a way to get somebody coming in untouched, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, Carr was the fastest at getting rid of the ball last year, and Flacco was actually the second fastest. But given that, I think it would be very difficult to to really make that happen. So Carr seems like the kind of guy you want to drop seven or eight into coverage against. Interesting though, I, I, I you don't happen to keep uh, pass rush numbers by uh, number of fast rushers by play. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that will be another, another time. Okay. Uh, let's talk secondary then. Uh, tell us what you're seeing from Denzel Ward. First of all, obviously he's the highlight. I was, when he was first selected, I was a little nervous, but just for me, cornerback at four, that's like, you're expecting a Deion Sanders return, a Patrick Peterson return. I was a little nervous, and, and the fact that he's a little bit undersized and not exactly what you blew has blown me away. Has absolutely blown me away. And I think part of it is, and, and what made it a really good selection and a big selection is, is the location. Obviously, the Ohio State kid, because it seemed for years these Browns fans were upset that the Browns weren't looking at Ohio State players. You know, when if just they were getting drafted before them. That's just the way it worked out. But Denzel Ward has really, really shown up. You know, obviously, uh, you know, three takeaways to this point. Um, and even last week, Derek Carr, and like I, t- I told you guys, Derek Carr didn't even bother. It was like, you want to know what? Uh, you know, I've seen what we've seen from there, and we'll just mm-hmm. we'll attack everywhere else. And he's really, really panned out. Um, you know, uh, Bradley Chubb, obviously, you know, ended up going five to Denver. Not really looking like as much as you want to see from a number five selection. But Denzel Ward, as much as I was kind of curious about it, and I kind of really like Jairi Alexander out of Louisville, who's played really well, too. But I can't complain about it. It's really looked like an outstanding pick to this point. And plus, you kind of you know, keep the fan base a little bit more excited because he is a local guy that they all know. 
Okay, you're a draft guy. So there were two others who I thought could have been drafted at that spot, either Micah Fitzpatrick or uh, uh, Derwin James even could have been taken as high as number four. And I don't think it really would have been too much of a stress. I was absolutely crestfallen when the Ravens did not take James at 16 and he was still hanging around. Mm, but uh, I, I think everybody, once you get about past pick eight right now, is like, why wasn't Derwin James' selection? Right. And, you know, the, the, me, the Florida State guy, He's just he's just all that. And even the first reps I saw as a true freshman, and it was just like, wait a minute, this is Florida State, and your best player on defense is a true freshman. Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, well, that's when we kind of knew Jimbo Fisher's days were numbered, and but we also kind of knew what kind of guy Derwin James was. I mean, he's just, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, you know, I hate to say, and everyone wants to say, you know, safety-wise, Sean Taylor-like. But, yeah, I mean, Derwin James, it's one guy where you almost don't feel bad about doing it. I mean, you almost right now got to give that guy that type of ceiling. Right. I, I, that ceiling, that's not unreasonable at all. He, it, where he ends up is another matter, and it'll be largely dependent on injuries. But, boy, he's a hell of a player. Um, let's talk safety for, for a little bit in terms of, of who the Browns have. So Demarius Randall has played fairly well so far. And, and Jabril Preppers, where, where does he stand right now? Peppers, sorry. Um, well, first off, Demarius Randall's been outstanding. Uh, the pick, I mean, the, the trade, just everything about it has worked out perfectly well. Now, here was a guy, you know, went from, you know, cornerback with Green Bay. He's gone to free safety. This is where he played in college. The most impressive thing is, is he not, he's barely even practicing right now. You know, that's how dinged up he is. They're kind of got him on the nurse him to game day plan. And just week in, week out, shows up and shows up big. So real peppers, it's kind of weird because, uh, they kind of split the snaps strong safety-wise. Uh, you know, Derek Kindred is kind of a guy they will use on contain. Like, Derek Kindred doesn't care if there's a pulling guard. All right, go ahead, knock me into the middle next week. I'll, you know, I'll do my job so the linebacker can do his. Jabril plays well. And, you know, the thing with Jabril Peppers and what you saw in his Michigan career, going from corner, going from free safety, going to outside linebacker, he needs the play in front of him. And he can't do it from a free safety position. There's just too much going on. He needs a box. He needs, you know, from a hash to the sideline type of mentality, and he excels with it. Um, they were getting cooked last Sunday by the Raiders. Uh, you know, Cook on Joe Schobert was just a absolutely terrible matchup. I think maybe they need to start entertaining Jabril Peppers in a Dayon Buchanan nickel dime linebacker. Yeah. yeah, because he's got that left to the right. He's fast. He's aggressive. Um, great form tackler. Like if he gets in, it's going to be old school. The hands are going to be wrapped. He's going to flip his hips. He's going to turn everything about him. Uh, I just think they do have some concerns that, you know, there might be a wheel route or two coming sometimes, and that's kind of why he gets taken out. Because once he's got to flip his head around, he may miss the ball, may lose the guy. But he's good in his role. I just don't think they're confident 100% in the rest of the defense to just let him go out there and take his 70 snaps a week that he's probably almost ready for. Okay, well, I'm a huge fan of the dime, and the, the great dime backs – Always, they can do exactly what the linebacker does, which is handle the play in front of them. And they can always move back. But, they, but the really great ones know how to close the window on the quarterback and read him to stop those passes from between level two and level three from being completed as often. Anthony Levine's done a great job for the Ravens in that respect. But anyway, don't want to stray too much. That's You're, you're telling me that that's not something you think Jabril Peppers would excel in as far as cutting down the level two to level three throws. I don't think so because once he's, you know, once he's got to put vision – you know, to the receiver, to the quarterback, it puts him in a tough spot. He needs everything in front of him, but he's really good with what he does. He is, but 
you just kind of sometimes got to understand that somebody's got a flaw, and it does make sense because you know he was moved from corner, he was moved from safety, moved to you know closer to the line of scrimmage, and that's kind of why they did him a disservice last year trying to play that angel position with him, because I mean anybody who scouted him at Michigan just knew it was an absolute grave mistake, and it was just it was almost a wasted year for him. It was a tough spot. Is is he a potential for man coverage of the tight end? I know not man. Too many oh, teams absolutely. Do that. That's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Where yeah. you know Jared Cook cooked Joe Schobert last week. Well, you know, in these tight ends now, as athletic as athletic as they are, go with the supreme athlete on them. Even if you know Jabril Peppers is going to give up, you know, all oh, well, we'd rather have a linebacker on him because the linebacker's six two. Jabril's mm-hmm. only five eleven and three quarters. Well, maybe Jabril's quick enough to get around him. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know, trust the athlete as opposed to when you know a guy is not athletic enough. Could not agree with you more on that statement. Could not agree more. Um, Okay, well let's let's uh, kind of wrap this up. Uh, how how would you attack the Browns' pass defense if you were the Ravens? We've talked a little bit about the secondary here. You're the Ra- you're you're cast in the more in the morning leg roles. The Ravens OC. How would you deal with the Ravens' pass? Or sorry, deal with the um, Browns' pass defense. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, what I watched Sunday night, more of that. Uh, you know, run. You know, whatever guys on the outside. I mean, you know, have him run deep. Run your crossers. Run your follow routes. Uh, that Max Williams play was absolutely gorgeous where he was mm-hmm. set up with it. I mean, that's just – it was just fun stuff. But uh, for me, I, I did a show last night. Somebody asked who would be the best fantasy guy. I think Willie Sneed, who just likes to just, you know, dance along and, you know, accelerate the route when it needs to be accelerated to find that window. I'm really worried about him. Uh, John Brown, I hope there's no way that John Brown is, you know, with Demarius Randall at any spot. I was a big John Brown guy back in the day. I love to see what he's doing because I think people look at him and he's one of those guys that looks like the, you know, the Patriot slot type, you know, slot wide receiver type. I have people forget that John Brown's kind of got world-class speed and can kind of dust anybody. So I think he's going to do a great job of getting deep to open things up. And then you run this, you know, what do you got? Four or five, six foot three, six foot four, 250 tight end, 250 pound tight ends. Um, you know, you know, uh, Janarvis and uh, Buck Allen as a receiver too. I, I have a lot of concerns about this, but I think just, you know, everything with the rolling and the fouls, the slants, you know, the short ends, the square ends, all of that stuff should be something you should be able to get here. Cause it's kind of what Derek was Carr was doing last week's. And I doubt they're going to be able to correct those errors as quickly as, you know, within one week. All right. All right. Very good. Special teams, anything about uh, about Greg Joseph you have to say at this point in his career? I, I, I think I think they have their – I don't think they're sold on him. Um, you know, they started going for two early last week. Um, you know, some of the people were trying to play it off because of the infield that's still in Oakland, which drives mm-hmm. me Bat crap crazy. Terrible place for to God's sake. I mean, it's just, no, and, and guys are slipping on it. And, and it, God forbid somebody hurts themselves. You know, thank God they're moving to Vegas. And it's just going to be a thing of the past soon. Um, I, I think they like him. I think they're confident in him as far as, you know, I would say 35 and in. I, you know, Baker also brings you this juice where, hey, you know, if everything's going good and they're not used to scoring a lot of points, so hey, let's try going for two. Let's just see how far we can take it. Um, yeah, I, is he here for the rest of the season? I can't guarantee you that. I mean, they're still working out kickers. Um, they're, they're, they're bringing in, they brought in the kicker who, uh, got booted after the, the, the Vikings kicker who got booted after the Packers game, the kid who was drafted. So, I mean, you know, obviously they're not that content if they're bringing in kickers for workouts. All right. Well, Hey, Josh, you've been sitting there quiet for a long time. Anything yeah. to ask Jeff? Yeah. You guys got in a really detail on all the players. I'm wondering about the fan base and what is the fan base? How's the fan base handling this year? 
after a a history of losing building up to this and then the excitement of a guy like Baker Mayfield how's the fan base handling all this well I, I think everybody's pretty jazzed up and, and and excitedly and you know deservedly so but the funniest thing about the Thursday night game with the Jets was you know I had you know guys who were on the show who were in the building that night and were like I gotta tell you man there were guys who were leaving and then Tyrod Taylor went down and all of a sudden I mean because now think about it it was the Browns on a Thursday night game so hey guys enjoy the game don't overindulge. We're on prime time. These guys were overindulging by 11 a.m. So I think a lot of it was just, oh, it's, just, it's it. We still suck. And then Tyrod Taylor went down, and that place just like a firecracker. Everybody in unison, it was, ta-da, it's time. We get to see him. And the fact that he was able to go down, get those points, they were able to get a win. And now I took over the Lockdown Browns podcast September I'm trying to think what it was. September 22nd of 2017. I was two days shy of going a calendar year without <laughs> talking was. about a winning football game. And to do that show, I mean, you know, and everybody, you know, good luck tomorrow with work, guys. Have a blast. Good luck with work. I mean, it was just truly the thing. And the best thing about it was is they got to carry it for 10 days because it was a Thursday night game. Right. It wasn't Saturday and then turn right around. They Everybody enjoyed it. You know, obviously Sunday stung some, but when you look back and you sat back, you said, you know what? The future started the game. They scored 42 points. The other team scored 45. Screw it. Call it a weird game. Let's everybody was still pretty much upbeat. All right. That, that's exciting. It's always good to see a classic fan base uh, kind of come back from the ashes like that. Extremely uh, knowledgeable group of fans. If you go out to the scout boards or whatever, boy, they are a very knowledgeable and passionate group of fans. The one thing, because you know, I, you know, I, I know people. You know, I actually have cousins in the Cleveland area. But when I took this over, they're like, you know what? You have no idea how how good you know football is in Ohio and how smart these guys are. And and that's the one thing I've gotten from all the listeners and the guys I talk to. These guys really, really know the game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's definitely neat. As a Ravens fan, it's not the best that suddenly the Browns are going to be competitive. Hey, as long as it's not Pittsburgh. Exactly. We can both uh, beat them up as they seem to not be so good this year. Um, we Let's jump into the mailbag. So the mailbag is every episode we go into Twitter and uh, people send in their questions using the hashtag film study mailbag. And it gives us a chance to uh, ask them to our guests, ask them to Ken. And since this week we've got you on, we've got some specific questions about the Browns. We're good. All right. So I I wanted to just – our first question here is from uh, Rob McDonald. His question is specifically for you, Jeff. He wants to know how much of an impact on the AFC North did Todd Haley's move from the Steelers to the Browns have? And are the Browns much better and the Steelers much worse on offense through four games than last year? And do you contribute all of this to Haley? Um, I'm not going to contribute Pittsburgh's issues to Todd Haley. Um, Pittsburgh's issues are the fact that they have a franchise running back who's not part of this team right now. Yes, James James Conner's done very well, but I think it's a big issue. And I think part of the problem is is you know the offensive line in Pittsburgh, the receivers. Everybody wonders you know how much this is ride or die when part of your ride or die was Le'Veon Bell. Um, why Todd Haley chose Cleveland? I think Todd Haley chose Cleveland because, look, Todd Haley is a Todd Haley guy first. That's the corporation he worries <laughs> about. I think he felt that there was a good opportunity here if to not maybe be named in, interim head coach. There was a good opportunity here to possibly put his name as next head coach. 
Um, obviously, he knew there was going to be a number one selection of a quarterback, which, you know, it's always nice to tie yourself to that. Um, but th- thus far, it- it's tough to see because I-, I think he didn't really want to run with Tyrod week one. I think he agreed maybe this was the plan. But you're seeing more with Baker now. You see a little gleam in the eye that they can kind of open things up. He got a little crazy with it last week, and it was doing a lot of the Z jet motion type of stuff, which just seemed really weird to incorporate into a rookie quarterback's first start. But I think Todd Haley's got the wheels spinning here and thinks, you know, obviously he can have a little fun with what he's got on his plate right now. All right, great. Uh, Ken, we've got two questions in the mailbag to address before uh, the end of the week with the Ravens. First one up is uh, what do you attribute to the regression of coverage and return teams this year? The Ravens have seemingly led in the league in those categories in recent years, but they're just not good so far. You know, it's really hard for me to diagnose what was allowing them to be such a good kick-blocking team, for example, and you know, basically it's been had been a long time since they'd given up any touchdowns in the return game, but it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. Uh, Rosberg is a very interesting coach to watch in camp. He's very fiery. Uh, it's it's not clear how they can still be making mistakes with him being the kind of authoritarian uh, professor he is. Uh, but Tyus Bowser has been one of the problems. He's, he allowed the block punt in the game, and uh, uh, he had some stupid mistakes that got him in the doghouse last year, and I hope he can turn it around personally. Uh, just a frustrating situation, obviously, for the Ravens, and not easily ascribable in terms of blame. All right. And then uh, final question, what do you think of the amount of time Joe had Sunday night? Can it be, what can it be attributed to? Do you think it's the offensive line or something different? Solid amount of time in the pocket for Joe, 19 out of 44, ample time and space. But it was what Joe did with the opportunities he had that was more impressive. He beat his opportunity set by 96 yards uh, relative to his historical norms. That's what really was special about that game. And that's why Joe Flacco was the MVP in it. He did have time. He, he, it seemed like he had more time because he got the ball out quickly 11 of the 25 times that he did not have ample time and space. So uh, that's how I would look at it. And, and uh, yes, the offensive line did a good job. They did a good job of slowing down both Watt and Dupree while he had a sack, wasn't completely dominant during the game. He was their best pass rusher. They didn't get much at all from the middle of their defensive line in terms of pressure. And the Ravens really, because Flacco was getting the ball out so quickly, forced them to stay with a four-man rush. The nine times they did throw in a five- or six-man rush, Flacco averaged 14.6 yards per throw. So that obviously is not something that uh, the Steelers could could last with in continuing the four-man rush. So you're looking for time. Those would be the major reasons. All right. All right. Um, well, again, that's the Film Study Mailbag. Send in your questions by hashtag Film Study Mailbag on Twitter. And I promised on the last episode we'd have a way for you to send in your questions without Twitter. And the answer is to go on the Russell Street Report on the film study, either articles or the blog post about the uh, podcast episode. And in the comment sections, put your questions in there and we'll pull those as well. So, Jeff, thank you for joining us uh, tonight. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about Locked On Browns? Well, uh, you know, obviously uh, the Locked On NFL Network. Um, there's also the Locked On NBA, the Locked On NBL. Um, David Locke is the radio play-by-play guy for the Utah Jazz. He is, you know, the founder of this. Um, we keep growing. Uh, this fall, we've gone into Locked On College, so they have a lot of, you know, schools are covering up there. And, you know, he doesn't want to do it just football. You know, they're going to cover basketball. They're going to cover everything through those. 
Um, but it, it, it's it, for me. I love talking ball, and the thing is, I like to be able to do hopefully a little bit of it every day, which was perfect match for this because you know, we we do five to six, seven shows a week. You know, always shooting for that twenty-five, thirty-five minute mark. David Luck will always tell you I go way over, and I just can't <laughs> help it. Once you start talking, it's kind of hard to hold back. Um, but and it's just been fun now for a year now, and to see and to think about you know where I was last year covering this team. And it was just literally ripping your hair out. And it was just, well, this is wrong. And this is wrong. And this is wrong. And that's bad. And this is no good. I mean, the coach is still here. I mean, everything else is kind of <laughs> looking up here. But uh, it, now you see the fruits of the labor. And, you know, you see that you have this quarterback. And you see you have a foundational piece at a defensive end and a defensive tackle and you're running backs. And it's starting like it's. It's like a house that was built, but now all of a sudden you're doing the interior. You know, there's carpet down, the walls are painted, some decorations are coming in, some furniture, and it looks a lot prettier and it's a lot, uh, you know, a lot much more fun, you know, thing. And I'm just, I've really enjoyed it in last couple of weeks, and even after that jet win, it was just, just the the momentum and and the you know, the first of it, and you know, that's it. No more. Raise the bar. This is, you know, this team shouldn't be the punchline it's been anymore. Hopefully, finally, this time is it. You're at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd on Twitter. Any place else to look for your work? Well, I mean, you can follow the uh, at Locked On Browns podcast. I keep that a follow back account. Uh, The listeners there, they've been fun. I mean, some of the guests, they've they've actually been able to get for me. Hey, I talked to him on Twitter. And all of a sudden, guys, yeah, sure, I'll come on. And it was, you know. It's been really good. You know, I, every now and then I get a DM telling me I'm a jerk. You know, I, I've gotten a couple because I don't think Carlos Hyde should be getting the snaps he's got. You know, that is what it is. But and that's the thing, you know, when you cover something, you know, people, they, you, I just, you know, I, I'm not a sunshine and rainbow guy. Look, even even if it's perfect, there's going to be issues with it. And there's things you're not going to like or things you're going to disagree with. And, and it just kind of comes with the territory, though. Sure, sure. Right. I, uh. I can understand totally what you're going through as a Browns fan and coming up as I've guested on the Locked On Orioles show many times with Justin McGuire, and I always feel sorry for him that every day he's got had to find something new to talk about with the Orioles this season <laughs> as they set the records for losing. Oh, so. my God. Me and him should sit down. We really should because it's just like, well, find the bright spot. Uh, and you know, for, for last year it was Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett. <laughs> Miles guy, I mean, it's just all right, you know. And but yeah, to to finally have something better, and you know, it, it seems like you know, it's kind of like the seeds you planted, and all of a sudden, finally, after six months, something's growing. Right. All right, Ken. Uh, why don't you share about Russell Street Report? Okay, sure. I mean, most people know where to follow me at at Film Study Ravens on Twitter, on Russell Street. My reports out there uh, under Film Study. The whole archive is there if you want to look back and uh, offensive line. Uh, grades are posted for the week and you have uh, charts there for the year so far today. A lot of people calling for Alex Lewis to be removed from left guard. I'm not there yet, but uh, I hope you guys will go take a look. And Josh, how about uh, Birdland Sports or 336? Yeah, uh, yeah. Birdland Sports. Bunch of uh, Ravens podcasts up there and some I, some Orioles talk as well. I think you'll we'll have some exciting Orioles talk. Probably show up in the next couple of days since today. Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette both got fired. So we'll have a lot of talk coming up soon about that, along with all the Ravens talk in the next few days. All right, very good. Jeff, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Really nice episode. Appreciate the cordial Browns talk with a knowledgeable fan analyst, and uh, uh, great to have you on. 
Oh, it was an absolute pleasure, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's to the point now, like, you know, this is what's, you know, you get through the week, you do these shows, and you're like, well, then we get to almost like Friday. And it's like, well, still got 48 hours. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, this is kind of, you know, this is kind of like a heat check, a litmus thing here. Um, I, I, with each week, you know, the jet week, jet game, I grew more and more confident as we got closer. The Raider game, I kind of got a little bit nervous because I was just, you know, John Gruden, 0-3 team, you know, return of John, but still a new coach, kind of a wounded animal in the corner. And that kind game kind of ended up unfolding like I felt. And, you know, how do we rebound from this now? And it's Baker Mayfield's first start. So it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I hope they're on their P's and Q's because I do think this Ravens team, if they don't, if the Browns don't show up 100%, I think it could get ugly, and I think you know I, I think it could turn into a two-digit game real, real quick. All right, very good, Jeff. We'll we'll, uh, we'll try to get back with you again later this season when the Browns and Ravens play again. If you need me as a guest ever on Lockdown Browns, I am available to you, buddy. You got it, guys. Absolutely had a blast. Good luck with this. All right, thank you. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.